This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today we are back to recap Monday Night Football between the Broncos and the Chargers and then talk a little bit about Kyron's top performers. Of course, we are live today on YouTube, so if you're listening along, remember you can find us live streaming over there four days a week. Today, Tuesday, we usually do at 8.30, a couple minutes behind, but... To do everything today, I have Kyron Samuels, ex-D1 offensive lineman, Jacksonville State, ex-all AFL offensive lineman, and general good dude. Kyron Samuels, how you doing today? Doing pretty good, man. Uh, interesting game last night, to say the least, so I'm interested to do this one. <laughs> I knew this was going to be a good one for you. Yeah, I, I just if, if you were watching Kyron's just Twitter timeline last night alone, you knew it was going to be a good conversation today. all right so like i said before we're going to talk a little bit about monday night football um now we've had we've had such a variety of primetime games some amazing ones just a lot of not good so but such is the nfl you never really know what you're going to get and um then we're going to talk about kyron's offensive line of the week we're going to talk about his performer of the week and then we're going to have a little conversation about how we feel about Tua Tungavailoa coming back early and round up a couple of things that we wanted to talk about from the weekend. So, let's do it. So that's our recap drop. That's my (laughs) four-year-old. All right. So this game, man. Only two touchdowns between these two teams. If you had told anybody preseason that the Chargers and uh, Broncos were going to go at it with Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson, that they were going to come out of this game with two touchdowns and a game that was only really decided by one team fumbling a punt in overtime, I, I don't think that people would have believed you. I genuinely don't think that. Uh, so, look, <laughs> I just want to give this to you. I mean, you can take the full 20 minutes on this segment if you want. The floor is yours. Um, So, I want to start by just saying, like, one, I think people are way too hard on – were way too hard on both quarterbacks last night. Um. Those dudes are playing under some of the most pressure I've ever seen on like both ways. Like, and I don't think either one of those D lines are are just tremendously good. I think it was a combination of uh, poor communication and, and, and poor coaching from both sides. Um, but we'll start from the beginning. The Broncos got off to a very good start. Russell Wilson looked very good, um, even throughout the game as, as things started to like fall off a little bit um, for the Broncos' offense. Um, his ability to extend plays and, and keep plays alive for the most part looked, was very good. Um, and he had more velocity and zip on his passes than I've seen maybe in the last two seasons. Um, just actually throwing the ball. It looks like, I don't know, he just got his arm back all of a sudden. I don't understand. It was very strange to see that. But um, I'll start with the Broncos. I think 
offensively, especially without, you know, maybe some of the, I don't want to say the receiver room is bad because it's not. It's just nowhere near as good as we thought it was. Um, they aren't creating a ton of separation. Um, the offense is supposed to be uh, complex and able to scheme guys open, and I'm not seeing that at all. Um, it, it's very vanilla and basic, and then when guys aren't creating separation, there is nowhere to go with the ball. Um, so when you couple that with the fact that your quarterback has been struggling, he's injured, and the fact that your offensive line isn't very good right now, uh, it's a recipe for disaster. I mean, maybe you should try, I don't know, running the ball a little bit more. They ran the ball 23 times total, and a lot of those are on Russell Wilson scrambles. Um, they mm-hmm. average 4.3 yards per carry. Russell Wilson himself, I like the way they did. They got him involved in the third quarter, and it led to a, a field goal, just a scoring drive, getting some points on the board. He ran the ball four times uh, for 23 yards for a 5.8 average. Like, you should probably start doing a little bit more of the things that are working. Um, early in the game, the tight end targets were working. Uh the tight ends only ended up with how many targets? I'm looking directly at it. The tight ends only ended up with three targets. But early in the game, it was working, moving the chains. Like, there's recipes there that have clearly been working. And from a coach's standpoint, we're not seeing a lot of consistency there. So it's very frustrating to see that because um, your offensive line is very good. They're hurt. They're injured. Um, you have the Melvin Gordon fiasco on the situation. I don't understand. Like, I think Melvin Gordon's a good football player even still today, but People acting like he's like Barry White and like oh, the, the, he's going to save the excuse me Barry Sanders and he's going to save the season for the <laughs> for the Broncos is so confusing to me. People are like, oh, let's put Melvin Gordon in, put Melvin Gordon in, and like I said, I like him, good football player, but people acting like mm-hmm. he's going to save the season. I'm kind of confused about that. So that situation was going on on the sideline. ESPN's putting the camera on him, um, and that's just for the Broncos. Uh, and I'll talk about the the Chargers offense, and then I'll get back to the Broncos defense because they deserve their own, like, quick little segment because I feel bad for those guys. I tweeted that out last night, too. But the Chargers, <laughs> the Chargers offense may be even more confusing to me. It's like Mr. Herbert goes 37 for 57 for 238 yards, only a 4.2 average, and a 49.5 QBR, 66.3 quarterback rating. And I'm not a huge proponent of those stats because they're kind of arbitrary to me. I don't understand the full formula, how people get to where they get for those, but Justin Herbert is literally sitting back there fighting for his life half the time, or when he is, you know, has a comfortable pocket and he can throw, there's nobody to throw it to. Now, I think a lot of that goes back to just getting Mike Williams, Mike Williams more targets. Mike Williams shouldn't be fourth or fifth on your team in targets when Keenan Allen's out. That's as simple as that. Um, somebody made a joke about it yesterday. Uh, we know Lombardi's gonna Joe Lombardi's gonna call stick route, stick route, stick route, stick route, stick route. Like that's just what he does. It's the most simple, basic, vanilla stuff. And I think a lot of that had to do with how much they respected the Broncos' secondary as, as far as taking shots on them. Um, but still, you have to you have to open it up and give your team a chance to be successful. And I didn't see a ton of that. I saw a lot of uh, conservative, bland, basic, detrimental football last night. And on both sides. So, I, Austin Eckler, I feel like he, he had a hell of a game. He, I mean, he had 24 touches um, right under uh, 100 yards total and a touchdown. But if you saw how he got his yards, uh, they were very tough, grounded out yards, mm-hmm. third down conversions, uh, getting to the chain, setting up short uh, conversion situations. I thought he had a very good game. Um, 
Josh Palmer had a lot of targets, but to me, he should never be second on your team at targets. He should never have 12 targets. He should never be more targeted than he just should have twice as many targets as Mike Williams. It's just kind of flabbergasted me, this, the situation, the formula here, especially when you have um, a makeshift offensive line right now. Corey Lindsley is all pro. He's out. Um, Rashawn Slater, he's out. I think Jamar Sawyer's done a great job filling in, filling in for him, but still, uh, it's not the same. When you have three new guys in along the offensive front, maybe dropping back 57 times, even if it's a lot of quick game, isn't the best scenario or formula for success. So, um, and situationally, I don't even want to talk about it. Like, the last seven to eight minutes of the game were just managed so poorly on both sides of the ball. It's like I can't even pick which one I, I don't like more. They're just both <laughs> terrible. Like you said, if not for the um, the muff punt, that game probably ends in a tie. We were well on our way to that game ending in the tie because mm-hmm. neither one of those offenses could move the ball. And the Chargers defense, I don't even think is very – it's nowhere near as good as the Broncos defense. I just – Mm-hmm. believe that the Broncos game plan was just that bad, that vanilla, that um, predictable. It's just, it, they need to do a blitz pickup package practice. Just that's it. Get up there and just pick up blitzes for an hour. That's all they need to do. Like that was their biggest Achilles heel last night. If they were able to pick up blitzes better on third down, or how about this? Get Russell Wilson rolling out. Let's get some quick outs. Let's get some tight end targets over the middle of the field that was wide open all night. Let's help our quarterback and our offensive line that's hurt out. So I don't think that um, Wilson is without blame. I know he's a big topic of discussion. But that team has done very little, if anything, to help him uh, from an X's and O's standpoint, considering the injury, considering the wide receiver room is banged up uh, and, and not maybe creating um, the separation that we were accustomed to seeing a guy like Jerry Judy have and when he does create the separation he's had the case of the drops so he said and it's not just like he dropped drops a lot of balls but when he does this in a crucial situation it's on the third down conversion um, it's on an in-game situation where you need him to make that play and come through for you and he just hasn't done that so um that's my take on both offenses and essentially the Chargers defense because i think the Chargers defense uh, is solid i mean it's nothing great uh, they have enough players to to suffice. I mean, you saw Khalil Mack get a sack. That's what you paid him for. You saw Derwin James come through and get that big sack on, on that blitz in the third quarter. That's what you paid him for. Um, even Drew Tranquil had a great game last night individually. They had a couple players stand out and make plays when they needed to. But, and this I'll wrap up on this. The Broncos defense, I tweeted out last night, has to be the most discouraged group in the NFL by far. Uh, they're playing at an extremely high level. Uh, I can't remember the exact stat, but they're like top three in scoring defense, I believe, and they're two and four. Could you imagine playing that well? Could you imagine being Patrick Sartan Jr. every day, um, literally taken out of side of the field, uh, locking down? Could you imagine being uh, Baron Browning, uh, turning your game up to another level? Um, I believe he has four and a half sacks. Now, could you imagine – uh, being DJ Jones coming over from the Niners to this, like uh, from that winning culture and what he's used to, to accomplishing and doing. Um, so this it has to be the most frustrating thing in the world to be playing this well. And, and coming out on the short end of the stick in the most like unfortunate ways possible. They're not just losing. They're losing like, demor- it's just demoralizing the way they're losing. Um, even to the, to the Colts last week. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just a terrible situation for them. Uh, hopefully, 
and I won't even say this, the coach should be fired anymore. I've said it enough. But hopefully they get somebody in there because the bones of this team is very good. The structure of the team, um, I think they could be very good going forward. I think next year's the year, though. Um, but like I said, demoralizing for the Broncos. The Chargers are the most fortunate 4-2 team in the league. I can't like, – if you if you said this before the season, right, everybody would be like, this sounds fine. 4-2 sounds about where, right where we thought the Chargers would be. But if you look at the mm-hmm. way we got here, um, absolutely not the way we thought we would get here. And they probably should be 2-4 and four instead of 4-2 and two right now. So um, very fortunate for the Chargers. They should feel terrible but good at the same time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think – I'll try and hit each one of these things briefly so that we can move on to, to our other stuff. First of all, with Russell Wilson, it's clear that there is a stark contrast between how effective he is from the pocket and how effective he is outside of the pocket. So whether they're formulated rollouts or he's scrambling, that's where you want him to be. And that's kind of always where he's really been at his best. But now the difference is even more stark, I think. Um, I feel like they don't roll him out enough intentionally I think they're they're leaving it up to him a little bit too much and the downside with that is if he doesn't already have a receiver like where he wants to go with the ball when he rolls out you're depending on receivers to operate off of scramble drills so if you can structure the offense a little bit more to get him outside of the pocket I think that would be very beneficial to them as far as running the ball I think some of the numbers of yards per carry are a little bit are, are a little bit I don't want to say like a lie, but they're colored by the fact that he was very effective when he was rushing the ball. I don't think it was quite as good without him. I don't know if you have – no, I don't know if it's possible for you. Maybe you can – oh, look, hey, guys, by the way, it's early, so I forgot to introduce Noah. Noah is our new editor, Noah Ashley. I want to give him a shout-out. But, Noah, perhaps, if you can, you can find out what the yards per carry for the Broncos was without Russell Wilson's attempts. You can get back to me on that if you have a minute. Um, but um, it, that's a, it's a big difference in, in how they play when he's in and out of the pocket. The Chargers' defense should be better. I mean, when you just look at this list of names, I mean, Derwin James, Khalil Mack, Bryce Callahan, Kyle Van Noy, Sebastian Joseph Day, Asante Samuel Jr., Morgan Fox, Troy Reader, like these guys, and that's... That doesn't even account, obviously, for the guys that are injured right now. But this should be a better defense, even with who is currently playing. Right. Uh, so I, I'm I'm a bit disappointed in in that. The Chargers' offense, they have they're not targeting Mike Williams because he is almost exclusively a downfield player. Everything he does is like basically like 15 plus down yards down the field. And if they're playing all that quick game because they can't protect, it's hard to incorporate him into the game plan. There's got to be a way to do it. You've got to be creative enough to figure that out because he's one of your best players. But, I mean, if you can't drop back and hold the ball long enough to to uh, to let him get to where he needs to get to, because he's also not a burner. He's like, he's a get-down-there-and-go-up-and-get-it kind of guy, too. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, you, there were just so many times where Justin Herbert, is he stepping up into the pocket? And I feel like so many other quarterbacks wouldn't even be able to get the ball where it needs to go because he's stepping up into offensive linemen. And all I see, 
even though he's so tall, all I see is just that arm sticking out, and somehow the ball still gets to where it needs to go. So yeah. I think he's playing very well under the given circumstances, but that the line is a problem, and it's hard it's hard to even really use play action for them because the running game is not working, you know. And I love Austin Eckler. I think you know, it, he's one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I 100% agree. That's exactly what I was going to say. Giving him 14 carries to smash into defensive linemen and linebackers for 2.6 a carry is like, it's only because you don't have anybody else who's effective. You're, you know, your next highest carry was Sony Michelle with eight, and then Justin Herbert. So it's like, this, this offense, it's, it's not versatile. You know what I mean? It's not versatile in its play calling, and it's not versatile in its pieces. And some of the pieces are very good when healthy, but they all have kind of a very specific skill set. And I don't know if it's just not, it's a lack of creativity getting these guys in positions where they can make plays, or if it's hard for me to believe that they're really that limited as players, you know? But, um, certainly what they do best is, is hard to achieve right now. And then Broncos defense, man. They are playing exceptionally well. This is exactly what it was like for the Jets for years. Good defense, atrocious offense, just exasperated players on the sideline. You know, they're they're on like their third straight three and out, and they give it back to the offense. And the offense, who has just had two two three and outs, fumbles the ball at the goal line. Like that that that's the level of difference between what we have on their offense and their defense right now. So, I mean, ultimately. They do get the win for the Chargers. I forget what was the spread for this game. I picked the Chargers, but I can't remember what the spread was. You uh, happen to know off the top of your head? Uh, it was LA minus four, so they did didn't not cover. cover. Of course, you didn't cover LA. Of course. All right. So, anything else you want to add in on on this game um, before we go ahead and move on to your players of the week? Um, hire more guys that have been in the game for a, a longer time that have probably earned that shot a little bit more. These, I mean, I like, actually, I'm not going to lie. I don't like Staley, but <laughs> these guys, <laughs> you, are, you, you, don't, you don't like him. <laughs> these guys, these, these younger guys and you know, they, they've had, they're making their names really fast. Everybody's not McVay. And I don't even feel that strongly about McVay. I feel like McVay is very, very fortunate to come in the system that he came up in. Um, but there's a lot of coaches that have earned the right to get their shot as a head coach that should probably get their shots over guys like these two. Um, they haven't been at it as long. They haven't been proven. They haven't ever been head coaches at any other juncture. Um, why, why doesn't a Leslie Frazier get a job over these guys? Why doesn't an Eric B. Enemy get a job over I these know. guys? Um, I why, I mean, and you know, I'm not the hugest, I'm not the biggest Spags fan, but Steve Spagnolo, I would trust as my head coach over some of these guys, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, we can move on because I'm tired of talking about these guys. I'm, I, I really don't like them, but um, get some of these older coaches that have been in there that have done that another chance before you give these guys a chance, in my opinion. Mm. I'm, I'm with you. Get Leslie Frazier a job, man. What right. are you doing here? All right. Noah, it looks like you popped in with some info. Right. Okay. Appreciate it, Noah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, not, not that 3.9 is awful, but like it's not something that is like encouraging me to run the ball more. I think it is skewed a bit by Russ. But anyway, all right, let's move on to your performers of the week. First one we're going to do is your offensive line of the week. Now, Kyron is 
a a, a well-established offensive lineman. Um, remind me, you played guard in college and center in the pros. Is that correct? Yes. So yeah, I played guard. Gotcha. And, and, yeah. And so he and he was an all AFL offensive lineman um, down in in. Uh, I haven't. You, I don't remember where you played. It was you told me back in the summertime, but it was, uh, was so it Tampa? my first year in Tampa, and then my last three years in uh, Baltimore. So played down nice. here, and then uh, up up in Baltimore a couple of years. Nice. Okay, so I love hearing his take on offensive line, and again, I, I always allude to it, but we're going to talk more about that when the offseason comes. More about his time as a player. More more about what it's what the offensive line is really all about. Um, when we don't have as many games to cover. But who is your offensive line of the week for NFL Week 6? And I told you, we sat down in that room, and I said, hey, you're going to be the greatest receiver ever do this. I told you, all of my critics, I told you all that I was the greatest of all time. I don't suck compared to you. Like, you, you suck compared to me. So my offensive line of the week, uh, actually changed last night. Um, it was the Falcons at first because you know I really I really like what they did. Um, they, they struggled in spots and areas, but overall they had a hell of a game total. But I, I, last night I changed it, so I had a typo earlier. I changed it to the Indianapolis Colts after watching that back. And the reason I did that is because of how much they struggled early in the year and how much they had to be great uh, for that team to even have a chance Sunday. And they stepped up to the plate. Um, Matt Ryan dropped back 58 times and did not give up a sack. Um, and they did not give up a sack. I mean, pretty, pretty incredible, remarkable, when you consider how um, much they've struggled earlier in this year. And it's kind of something that we haven't become accustomed to because, you know, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, um, they have some all-pro guys on that front. So we haven't been accustomed Braden to seeing Smith. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's a merger. He's a very good player. Like, we haven't seen them struggle like this. So um, they have been a little banged up. I mean, some guys have been, you know, uh, not healthy, uh, quarterback change. I mean, a lot of stuff has happened. But it was very good to see them come back yesterday. The run game wasn't as great. Um, they only averaged uh, 2.8 yards total, but that includes uh, Matt Ryan's negative and then Bill Blinsey only getting seven yards on three carries. But uh, for the most part, they, they were solid in the run game. Deion Jackson had some very nice runs. He averaged 3.5 per carry. And when you're throwing the ball as much as you are, 3.5 is beneficial. It's going from, um, you know, first and 10 to second and six. It's going from second and six. Um, you know, it, it just keeps the, the chains moving. It keeps um, the offense in the flow. And I thought that's what he did at running back. But getting back to that um, – 58 times, and a lot of those weren't designed uh, quick game. He got the ball out a little bit early. Early on, it was a lot of dink and dunk. But as the game progressed, these guys were taking shots down the field. I mean, I'll just go down and read. Michael Pittman Jr.'s uh, longest catch was for 20 yards. Um, Deion Jackson, running back, his catch was for 22, biggest catch for 22 yards. Pierce Campbell, 15. Uh, Alec Pierce, uh, the rookie out of Cincinnati, 32 was his defense. Um, Granson, 17. Woods, 17. Like, they're throwing the ball down the field. A couple of those had a little yak involved, but the point I'm making is they were blocking and blocking for a long time. So, very, very big shout-out to them. Akin to the 
the Chargers being four and two. How the hell are the Colts three, two, and one right now, sitting in second place, <laughs> uh, a game, a game, a half game back from the division lead? You can thank the Broncos for both of those records. Oh man, so it's like <laughs> it's crazy. But uh, you wouldn't have assumed that this team would be in the position that they're in right now. Um, mm-hmm. it's, so it's, I want to, I want to, I'm sorry, I want to give a little context right for everybody. So the Colts went into the into this season with their All Pro left guard. Quentin Nelson, there. I don't know if he ever made an All Pro. I can't remember, but at least Pro Bowl uh, center, um, Ryan Kelly, and All uh, uh, Pro Bowl right tackle Braden Smith. And they had two key potential holes. They had right guard, so that was either going to be Will Fries or Danny Pinter, and then they had left tackle, which was even either going to be um, uh, I think his name is Matt Matt Pryor, mm-hmm. or uh, or uh, they're their uh, rookie who they I think they just took in the second or third round uh, Bernard Ryman uh-huh. and so those two spots had been absolutely dreadful so who I just want to give that that context so now what was the starting lineup of offensive linemen in this game that played so well hold on I had to let my dog out <laughs> I had to go let the dog out man she's barking alright <laughs> yeah, that's done I want to make sure she gets out before before the time arrives. Yeah, man. Before, then, before she starts coming here, we uh, get it on on camera. I'm at the door. I'll be right back in. <laughs> be right back in a second. All right. No, no problem. But no, um, you can come in and, and talk to me. You know what's funny is I don't know if Noah it can it can be heard by the live stream. I'm not sure yet. I have to check on that. So it's possible. It's possible that I might be talking to myself, but. Um, <laughs> Okay, back now. But um, so <clears throat> you got Raymond at left tackle, um, Quentin Nelson obviously, Ryan Keller obviously, Brayden Smith at right tackle. Um, Matt Pryor's been getting a lot of reps, but Dennis Kelly ended up filling in last night. Um, mm-hmm. uh, excuse me, Sunday, and a lot of people think that that's where the shift is because you know Raymond's a young guy; she probably shouldn't be in there, but um. Dennis Kelly steps in, and, and somebody said, uh, there's no, I can't remember who the tweet was. It was somebody pretty prominent. Um, they said, uh, there's no, there's definitely a correlation between the amount of Kellys on the field and how well we did yesterday. So they're saying, you know, <laughs> uh, so it's kind of, are you a Colts fan, uh, Noah? He is. Yeah, he's got a little insight here. It's a good timing. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> Right, especially when you drop back so, 58 times, insane. If he's given up uh, 40% of you know the pressures and the hits, but, I mean you, you can't you can't you can't work with that. So that's a clear weak weak link. Um, and it's not it's nothing you can really do at this point in the season either. Like um, you're shorthanded, you're gonna have injuries. It's offensive line. Um, I don't even think that. I mean, you can't go get a Jason Peters type guy because he's in Dallas now. He's with them. Like. I don't really see too many uh, solutions, though. Didn't they? Uh, did Did Mitchie leave? <laughs> right. 
So what, he just doesn't want to come back? Because Kyron and I talked about this before, about Eric Fisher being available out there. Hmm. Yeah. Could be. Could be. Not a great sign. So so what was the starting lineup? So where did Dennis Kelly play? Did he play did he play a tackle then? Mm-hmm. At left tackle. Gotcha. Okay. So he subbed in, like basically he took over for him partway through the game. Yeah, so, it, yeah, it was pretty quick. It was pretty quick. Um, okay, gotcha. I just wanted to to to, to nail that down because I haven't watched that that game yet. Why I don't have my power rankings done because I still need to need to uh, yeah. Get that I mean, that lets you know how bad <laughs> prior was, though. I mean, for <sighs> you hate to single out a guy like that, but it's almost like Wiley on the uh, the Chiefs' offensive line. Like he's not a bad player, but compared to the other four, he stands out as far as where the pressure's coming from, where the hits are coming from, um, where the leaks in the run game are. It's just. Um, you know, last year, Jesse Davis for the for the Dolphins. Like, it, it's clear when you have a guy that sticks out like that, it's very clear. And I think that um, – I think that you have to be – you have to be very cautious when you, like, jump out on guys like this. Like Raymond, for example, he shouldn't have been on the field, and most people yeah. would admit that. So you can't oh, – yeah. there's a reason why he, he's struggling because he's not ready to play yet. He's a project. He's a guy that needs to get stronger. Um, learn get, get the technique more uh, ingrained in your brain and this is it's hilarious because there's no brand thing that needs to be adjusted it's little st- stuff like his first kick timing on his punch just at, actually like the little monotonous the stuff that drives you crazy as a player the stuff that you hate doing in, in practice at indy every day individual drill that is like those are the little things that he just needs to do for a year against pros because it's different against uh college guys you know you're just better than everybody that is just what happens but when you're going up against, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use Shaq Bear for example. Shaq Bear is a, a great guy, and he's probably not looked at as an elite player um, by most circles. But if you're not at your absolute best against a guy like that, he can get three sacks on you. Like, that's the NFL. So um, mm-hmm. I, I hope people aren't, like, bashing the kid. Um, and they are. I've seen some of the tweets. But um, <laughs> he shouldn't have been out there. And I think people should give guys like that a little bit more room to grow. It's not like a guy like I hate to keep saying his name, but like a Jesse Davis, where he's like four, five, six, seven, eight years in, and then you kind of know who they are at this point. He has mm-hmm. room to grow, and I hope people give him a chance to grow. Well, here's what basically a super athlete, like long term project from where Central Michigan or something like that. Like we knew, we should have known. Like I feel like a lot of people knew something like that. Yeah, exactly. So it's is this is not groundbreaking or or you know news breaking stuff here right. expectations should always have been that he needs to spend time on the bench and that's that's why i was a little bit hesitant about the left tackle spot because like matt Pryor has never shown anything in his career that that warranted him being essentially given a left tackle starting job in, especially with a quarterback that's you know not <laughs> the most mobile at this point so yeah <laughs> so Oh, that's an interesting yeah, point. Yeah, I agree with that. A lot of people have been agree saying that. that. 
Hey, Appreciate man. it, Noah. Hey, listen. Of course, of course. When you find a way, you find a way. People talk about the, the Giants and the Vikings right now. I don't think they're a very good football team. Um, they're finding a way. Finding a way, man. Who cares? You are what your record says you are. <laughs> yep, agreed. So, And they the Colts have been fortunate that their other position where there wasn't really any competition, which is the second wide receiver, has been working out pretty well so far. Because Alec Pierce is, is looking pretty good, at least for a second-round rookie. Yeah, and when, um, and when JT gets back healthy, I mean, you have to assume that that team's going to get right back on track. If they are in a, a mm-hmm. good spot when he gets healthy, and that's a big if. Because I don't want to just assume people are going to get healthy. Like people with the Dolphins, I know a lot of Dolphins fans will keep telling me like, oh, when everybody gets healthy, I'm like, that's not how it works, dude. That's <laughs> yeah. not how it works. Like the whole half yep. the team is hurt. Like literally half the starters are hurt. It don't just get better. So mm-hmm. you might just have to accept reality for what it is. Um, but hopefully if he can get better, JT that is, um, they can come back. And, and when he's healthy, he's proven to be one of the best backs in the NFL. So hopefully he gets back no healthy doubt. and going. Yeah, I agree. So I, I think that's another thing that goes into their rushing attempts, you know, rushing attempts and yards per carry. It's only three and a half, but they're also missing Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor. Yep. So, you know, that that makes their starting rusher, whoever, uh, who did you say it was? Um, Deion Jackson or something like that. Yes. So, so they're, crazy, they're working through it. They're, crazy job in receiving. He had 10 catches for 79 yards out of the back. I mean, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and that's great because if Naheem Hines takes a while to get to get back, that's a role that mm-hmm. he can absolutely uh, absorb as well. But um, interesting makeup for that team. Interesting makeup. It's like they they've got they've got the all these tight ends and this potentially good offensive line, at least with a bunch of good players on it, and then they just don't have any power backs. I mean, like Jonathan Taylor is kind of one, but they just they, they don't have anybody to take advantage of that. They've only they've got a bunch of these smaller guys. So I think they're 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 missing one or two pieces there. But hopefully Matt Ryan doesn't get too beat up and comes back for one more year because they could probably put this together and actually field like a high quality football team in, yep. in an off season. Mm-hmm. But all right, let's move on to your performer of week six. So every week you pick an individual performer to highlight. Um you told me who this one was beforehand and I absolutely agree. An absolute monster in this game in one of the biggest games of the year and that's that's kind of his mo so who do you have to talk about today um so i'll start off by saying that it was very very tough um to pick one this week because i think a lot of guys had crazy games um like i wish that the the broncos won i might have you know highlighted patrick sertan just for how absurd he's been the entire season um josh allen had a very good second half i thought that and it's funny because you look at the stat. I don't think Josh Allen even played trem- like tremendous or anything. When you look at the stat line at the end of the game, it's like, oh my god, that's pretty crazy. Like <laughs> he did pretty good, but uh, the bar is so high for him. That's why um, it was just like the way it happens. It's not like um, it's not like they had a ton of explosive plays. There was a lot of ten yards here, uh, sixteen yards here on this uh, on this third down. I think the third downs and the the kind of clutch moments is what separates the guys like him. Uh, Pat, all the you know the guys at the top, um, coming through consistently there is what separates those guys. But he had a, had a great game on the road at Arrowhead. Um, Matt Ryan almost got it for me. I mean, the way he played and the the performance he put up um, over 350 yards on 58 attempts, three touchdowns, pulling out that game at the end with the win. There's a lot of guys that I feel like uh, deserve. Even a guy like Mitch Trubisky coming in at the end. 
and going, you know, 9 for 12, 144 yards and a touchdown to lead the Steelers to victory over the Bucks. I, I always like to give those guys credit and shine because they deserve it. Um, however, my performer, performance of the week goes to Von Miller, um, DN of the Buffalo Bills. And it's something that I kind of wanted to talk about because historically, once a guy gets to this point of his career, Von Miller is 33 years old. We've seen these guys not only, you know, not be the players that they were, but take a significant step back. There's a significant drop off once guys like that get to their early 30s. He's almost, it depends on how you classify it. Some people, he could be already in his mid 30s. I know some people are like early 30s, just 30, 30 to 32. It depends on who you talk to. But Von Miller in football years is very seasoned. He's up there. For him to be mm-hmm. as good as he is, on the limited amount of snaps that he was getting, and a lot of that had to do with they blew out the Rams. Um, he didn't play, didn't play much that second half. They blew out the uh, Steelers. Didn't play much at all that game. Um, so the snap rate is a little bit skewed because they were blowing people out. He he wasn't playing as much. But for him to have been getting as little opportunity to rush the passer as he has been, and for him to be uh, .5, a half sack off the NFL lead at 33 years old with a brand-new team, um, it's absolutely it is crazy, and it's just a testament to how good he is. But let's get to him specifically. Uh, he finished the game with two sacks, uh, six quarterback pressures, and played his high season snap count. Uh, he played 78% of the snaps on the D-line, which is actually pretty ridiculously high at any age, but especially at 33 years old. Um, for him to play 78% of the snaps on the road against one of the best offensive lines um, in football, at Arrowhead and just completely take over the game at the most pivotal points. Um, it's something I'm, you know, haven't seen from him since maybe. I don't want to go all the way back to the Super Bowl, but um, you know he had a he had a very good game in the Super Bowl as well. I believe he had a sack. Um, him and uh, Aaron Donald both had two sacks in that game. So, but taking over a game like this, I don't think I have seen it in a, in a very long time, at least since the Denver days. Um, even the plays that he wasn't getting the sacks, he's creating, uh, he's causing havoc. He got a couple of hold calls on Andrew Wiley. Um, he, he was busting up. He had a tackle for loss in the run game on the, on the third down um, to get the Bills off the field. The way he took over the game allowed for the offense and Josh Allen to have a chance. Um, you know, Stephon Diggs had a crazy game. Um, Josh Allen did great. I thought the, the offensive line in the second half bucked up and did what they were supposed to do. Um, and came through. That's where the Brandon Bean and those guys uh, making little tweaks on the team. I think you saw those um, off-season additions really shine at the end of the game um, for the Bills, specifically Vaughn Miller. And uh, I'm almost done here with him for that, but uh, I try to give full credit. I could be butchering his name here, but Shil Capita. Um, <laughs> Shil Capadia. 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 Um, you know, he's, he works for the ringer right now. So he tweeted out, and I'm just going to read off of that. Von Miller on the Chiefs' last three possessions. Uh, created a pressure on Patrick Mahomes on third down to force a field goal. Got them got them off the field. Uh, a touchdown there probably could have put the game away. Um, the next drive, he comes back, sacks Mahomes on fourth, excuse me, on third down to force a punt. Then the next drive, the last drive the Bills have on, on defense, flushing Mahomes out of the pocket. Um, but Milano comes underneath, and then he, he forces the early throw from Pat off platform, sidearm, 
just trying to make something happen because he's un- under such pressure, and then he throws the game-winning pick. Uh, and, and you watch it live, and you can see it, you see it happening. But when you read something like that on the last three possessions of the game, uh, when I say that he took over the game, I literally mean without Vaughn Miller, it doesn't matter how good Josh Allen played. It doesn't ha- matter how many catches uh, Stephon Diggs had. It doesn't ha- matter how many uh, adjustments you made up front to give uh, Allen more time to throw the ball. Without all of that, the game's over. Uh, the secondary played well. The linebackers played, you know, decent. But they were very fortunate. A lot of the Chiefs' explosive plays got called back from penalties. It wasn't like the defense played exceptionally well um, as we're accustomed, as we're used to seeing them play. Um, they were very fortunate. A lot of stuff swung the Bills' way that, that second half, um, especially from a, a penalty standpoint. One of Kelsey's biggest games, I think it was like a 30, 40-yard game, got called back because of a penalty. A couple times, Patrick broke out of the pocket. He threw one of Juju, got called back because of a penalty. Um, those things matter when you get to the end of the game. And the way that Von Miller was able to take over the game and kind of take any possibility of those plays happening, I say that to say, like, what happens if those plays don't get called back? Or what happens if uh, the referee misses it? Or he just lets them play? Because we see it all the time in the end game of the situation. You're much less likely to get those calls at the end of the game, in the middle of the game. So Vaughn completely mm-hmm. took away those those chances of those explosive plays happening by just taking over the game, three straight possessions. And uh, kudos to him, man. Uh, it, it still blows my mind at this age. I don't think people really understand. It's like LeBron playing basketball as well at, at age 38. Like, we haven't seen anybody play basketball as good as he has at this age. Uh, it's insane. To me, if Vaughn Miller continues this, I'm not saying like defensive player of the year uh, quality because I think that uh, at this juncture, Michael Parsons is probably the defensive player of the year. Um, or, or or Nick Bosa, if he's going to get healthy, he has a very good shot to win a defensive player of the year. But you have to consider Von Miller for all pro. Um, and just uh, 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 you might be able to bump him up on some all-time rankings a little bit higher if you were hesitant about that early. I know somebody asked me the other day if I thought Von Miller was a top five edge rusher ever. And when you spe- specify edge rusher, I don't think it's a debate. Um, as far as a, being a complete defensive end, playing both the run, spilling stuff, sitting edges, he's great at that as well. He, he's never been a bad in that area. But if you specify just edge rusher, um, I can't name five guys better than Prime Paul Miller. I, I, absolutely, I can't. I think he's proven mm-hmm. to be that over time. So kudos to Paul Miller. I don't have too much more to say about him, but uh, – Absolutely incredible. Shout out to Brandon Bean and those guys for uh, finding a way to get him, man. I mean, the people were talking about maybe they paid too much money for him or, or oh my, what are y'all doing to pay this guy at this age, this? And up until this point, I mean, listen, he's a half sack off the NFL lead, um, and, and I don't see him slowing down anytime soon, man. So uh, mm-hmm. shout out to Greg Russo yeah. as well because Greg Russo allows for him to be a little more yep. free than he has been. But I think you look around the league at anybody, anybody, nobody's great at defensive end without somebody uh, opposite them. Uh, you see how Miles Garrett struggles when Jadavion Clowney is out and he's getting doubled and tripled. Um, you saw how, how difficult it was um, for Nick Bosa adjusting um, early in his career when he didn't have a I think great D-line alongside. You need two two very good guys. Yeah. They can be opposite each other on either side of the line. You can have one edge and one really good interior guy. I think any, any way that you can force somebody to try and be single teamed against some of the, but like if, if you basically, if you can make that work, <clears throat> you can set up 
at least one of your guys to have a single uh, single block matchup, then uh, that is the most effective way to utilize a pass rusher. So if you have one guy, they'll always be able to slide an extra guy, an extra chip, or at least something over towards him. So it, it does help a lot. But um, I, I, so I like to try and kind of bring this back to team building um, whenever I can. And we've talked about the Eagles being the best front office in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. I would say that the Bills are a fairly close second. I think the Bills front office with Brandon Bean has been remarkable in terms of putting this team together. And what I love is that they don't they don't do this thing that we see with so many quality teams where they go down the line, they're like, starter check, starter check, starter check, starter check, starter check. Okay, wait, there's not a starter? All right, let's get a guy there. They look at their roster and they're like, let's get deeper. And deeper doesn't always mean adding a fourth round rookie to sit behind that guy depth means signing a guy that's even better than the guy that you already had yeah and so that makes your previous starter depth i think that's a way that a lot of teams should be looking at improving their rosters and i i know that you know you might be limited by draft pit <clears throat> draft picks or salary cap or whatever but i think they're just showing impressive ways to do it i mean they go from having what we all considered to be a relatively good defensive line last year i mean you know, you, you've got your Mario Addison's, you've got your Jerry Hughes, you've got these guys who are getting it done, but they're like, all right, that's not enough. We're going to sign, uh, we're going to draft Greg Russo and Carlos Basham. And they've been drafting these guys for, for a couple of years now. I mean, they had, they drafted um, AJ Epinesa, you know what I mean, before that. And instead of saying our young guys are going to get it done for us, we're going to go out and get one of the most accomplished pass rushers of the past decade to play a, a situational pass rusher role. And I know he's a little bit more than that, but, but that's ex- essentially what he's doing. And, you know, they might ramp up his snaps in the playoffs. I think I wouldn't be surprised to see that, They're trying to kind of keep him healthy. But I'm, you just have to give so much credit to how they've gone about building that defensive line, you know. Yeah, even the uh, they back go out end. And get Daquan. Even getting, yeah. uh, they, you know, Secondary wasn't a weak point for them last year. I know people uh, kind of give them hell for the Chiefs game, but they were the number one defense in the NFL last year, statistically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then they drafted K.R. Elam, first round from the University of Florida, and he's already mm-hmm. paying dividends. He had a crazy one-handed interception. So uh, you're right about um, them never being satisfied. They have bolstered every uh, every position group on the field. The way they bolstered the, the DB, the DL, and the O-line specifically uh, – because the offensive line, a lot of people felt was a a low point for them. I never felt like they were that bad. I just felt like they were asked to do a lot. I mean, Josh Allen sits back in that pocket a long time. Um, but even running back, I mean, they they draft uh, James Cook from the University of Georgia. Uh, they have Zach Moss. I think the running back room is so underrated for the the Bills. They aren't great, and it's definitely a committee thing. But they have a short yardage mm-hmm. guy when Moss is healthy. They have the early uh, first and second down back, and um. Excuse me, and Singletary, Singletary, and then they have Cook to come in and spill those guys. He's a good receiver out of the backfield. I mean, they all do well in pass pro as well. Brandon Bean deserves a lot of credit. That is a very, very uh, complete football team. So shout out to them. Yeah, and I also love that they that you know they've got Stephon Diggs, they've got Gabe Davis, mm-hmm. they've got Isaiah McKenzie, who they signed to a new deal. Mm-hmm. They 
instead of being like, okay, those are our three guys and we're going to have cheaper rookies out there, they also go out and get Jameson Crowder mm-hmm. to be their other slot guy. And then they go out and spend a pick on Khalil Shakir. I mean, like, they're how many wide receivers deep? Yeah. They're how many running backs deep? They're how many defensive linemen deep? They're how many DBs deep? But we talked about it yesterday. They don't even have Tredavious White back. Yep. Like, they... They and word on the street is I heard that uh, the Odell talks are, are pretty legit and they could be getting ready to add um, Odell Beckham here soon is what I've heard. So uh, why not? Never stop. Why not? But I, if I had to put money on it, I would say that he'll be back in L.A. <clears throat> but shout out to Les Need as well. You can do it two ways. You can do it the way Howie's doing it. You can do it the way uh, Brandon Bean's done it, building from the draft and you know the um, free agency, or you can just buy your team like the Rams did last year. Get you a Super Bowl and be out, but maybe the future of the team isn't as bright. But they already got the job done, and it worked. I think that's a that's a question. I mean, you ask a lot of fans out there. I mean, I nothing is guaranteed, but yep. yeah, exactly. It's like if if you if you could take a Super Bowl win and then regress quite a bit, would you do that or would you? You know, the Bills have been the try. Bills. For t- 20 years, I mean, I don't want to say they're turning into the 90s Bills, but they very well could be turning into the 90s Bills right here if they don't get a championship this year. And, I mean, who cares if you have, have such a good team if you never get it done? I mean, it's such an interesting conversation to have for sure. Because I know a lot of people. I think Go ahead. it's funny who you ask. Because I bet if if you ask a lot of Jets fans, they would rather be have a good team that was competitive every year. Maybe maybe some would say they'd want a Super Bowl, but if you ask the teams who have been good for years, they'd be like, "I'd rather just have a Super Bowl." Yeah. So I think it's all a little bit of like you know a little bit of want specifically what you don't have. Yeah, like but, Steelers are calling yeah. for Mike Thomas' head, and he hasn't had to lose the season <laughs> yeah. in seventeen years. So it's crazy, like yeah. the, the disparity in uh, expectation. But yeah, let's, we can go ahead and move on. Right. But that's funny. Last thing that we want to talk about it looks like Tua is practicing in preparation to be the starter this week. I mean, you're a Dolphins guy. Mm-hmm. You're a former player. You have a far better, you know, like to stand on, to even really comment on this. So I'll I'll let you go first on it, and I'll bounce off you here. What are your thoughts on whether he should be out there or not? So there's a, a, a two-fold answer here, and I'll make it quick. As a player, I don't 100% understand where two is coming from. I 100% understand where, uh, or, or, or the dynamic, however, uh, of an organization and the amount of money that they've invested in him, they're going to invest in him, um, the expectation to play through certain things. Um, that's just football culture. Let's make no mistakes about it. Um, the coach and staff, they're going to want the guy to play. Uh, and, and, and I feel like they care about him, but do you care about him enough to – hedge your future on it because the coach's future kind of banks on how well the team, not kind of, it does bank on how well the team's doing. Um, the GM, their future hangs in the balance of how well the team's doing. So they care about you enough to get you on the field. Do they care about you mm-hmm. past that? That's where, you know, my human side kicks in because I understand the business. I understand what it's like as a player. Um, I've, I've had seven surgeries. I'll put that put it out there. Uh, every major limb on my body, I've had a reconstructive surgery on. Um, I've had two on each shoulder, uh, two on my right knee, one on my left knee. Um, I've had another one. And so I played through, I'm talking about, I played 10 plus games with a dislocated shoulder with a completely 360 
uh, tear my labrum. I played um, two games with the without a without a meniscus. Uh, that was the most painful thing I've ever done. I played through so much stuff, but one thing that I never ever 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 played through was any head. Anytime I had a head or neck or you know bad stinger or my arm locked up or uh, I've only knock on wood, thank God I've only had maybe one concuss one serious concussion during my entire playing career. But even when we had, you know, questionable stuff with my head and neck, I never played with that because I've, I've seen, I grew up, my uncle played in the NFL for 10 years. My uncle, my other uncle played uh, in the arena football league for 15 years. I've seen what addiction looks like from those pains, from those painkillers. I've seen God's family fall apart because they aren't mentally capable of being the same humans that they were before they started their football career due to mental, um, one mental health. And then two, actually having mental deformities from, uh, concussions from head and neck injuries playing the game of football. So I've seen what it does to people. And I, I never wanted to play with that. That's why even after my surgery, this might even be a little TMI, but I don't take the first day I'll take the painkillers. But after that, I normally just tough it out and brave it out because I just saw what it did to those guys. And I never, I mean, there were literally guys popping painkillers to survive, uh, to go to practice every day, to like function every day. And I was like, I'll never live like that. Um, so this means a lot to me, but I think that is, I think it's very, very, very difficult for the Dolphins and the NFL to to be taken seriously uh, as far as player health. If two attack about Loyal goes back out on the field. And that's before we even get to the fact that the offensive line is terrible right now and extremely injured. And you're putting him back out there uh, against one of the best defensive lines in football. Um, I've even heard some stuff that we might get TJ Watt back this week. I highly doubt that, but I've heard a rumbling. Somebody, one of my guys that plays in the NFL, let me know that. And I was like, what? So imagine TJ Watt, High Smith, who leads the NFL and sacks right now, six and a half, Cam Hayward. Um, I mean, Wormley's in there playing well. Imagine bringing Tua back against those guys um, with the offensive line that he has, with the expectation that he has. He's not only being brought back to play, he's being brought back to lead this team back to the uh, top of the AFC and, and the playoffs. Like, I think it's way too much, way too soon. Um, and, and he's passed the, the concussion test, right? I mean, um, I have no doubt. That well, he, he must have. Yeah, I have no doubt that he's feeling good. If you ask Tua, you go to Tua right now, 100% he's going to be like, man, I'm ready to play. This is, But imagine he goes out there and he has another concussion. Or we see him out there laid out again, which we're going to see him get hit a lot because it's just what the Dolphins' offensive line has been for the last three years. Especially if Teron Armstead can't go because that's still up in the air. Every time he gets hit, the entire world is going to be holding their breath. It's a it's a Sunday night football game in prime time. Um, the entire world is going to be holding their breath. The entire organization, the Dolphins organization, they're going to be up there holding their breath in those booths, um, praying that he doesn't get injured. It's just too much too soon, in my opinion. And this is coming from a Dolphins fan, a guy that picked them to win the division, a guy that picked them to go um, to the second round of the playoffs. You know, I have very high expectations for the team, and they were well on their way. 3-0 and and in position to win the fourth game when Tua goes down. Um, so the team's very, very good overall when he's out there. Uh, and he's pro- he proved his stock over the course of the first four weeks of the season. And the way they look without him, you, you can kind of, you know, see, hey, how important this guy was to the su- success of the team. 
but that doesn't override his uh his everyday life to me. That doesn't um he's a he's, he's a husband now. He he got married this off season. He he has a wife. He has a family. Uh, you know, I don't know his wife's situation. They could have a kid coming. He could be a father very soon, or he could already have kids. We don't know. We didn't know he had a wife, so somebody leaked it. So he could already have a kid. Like to me, that trumps everything that we talk about when we talk about football. And I hope that his quality of life is the same as it was before the hit. So of course, I hope he gets up there. I hope he throws some five touchdowns. I hope he balls out, and I hope he's healthy for the rest of his career. But if something does happen again on Sunday night, um, the NFL and the Dolphins will have nobody to blame but themselves. Somebody has to protect the players from themselves at some point. That is supposed to be your job. Um, the medical staff will be at fault as well. Hopefully nothing happens, but uh, playing behind that Dolphins offensive line, he's going to get hit and get hit a lot. So uh, hopefully he's okay, but I'm not necessarily okay with him playing so fast. I don't think that this season mm-hmm. is as important as his general quality of life. Just think about it from the other player for, player's perspective. Like, imagine what that offensive line is thinking right now. Like, what's in their mind going into this game? They're like, okay, so, so like, if I if I give up a pressure, that can turn into a, a life-changing situation for the person behind me. Right. Now, technically, that's true on any given play, but yeah. you, you know what I mean. Like, it's like, amplified, yeah, of course. And, yeah, yeah, and, and then you look at the defensive side. Like, it's not like you can – it's not like you can ask Cam Hayward to not be a monster. Like he's got to go out there and do what he does. You know what I mean? Like he's got to he's got to bust through the line and take down the opposing quarterback. You know what I mean? And like you know, sometimes sometimes that is a hard hit. Sometimes that drives the player into the ground. So it's like. <laughs> Um, yeah, look, I, 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 a dog just opened my door. So uh, that's the last thing I'll say while I go close it real quick. Um, um, but, um, but man, I mean, it's just, it just puts a lot of people in a very difficult situation to make that decision. And I, and I think maybe this wouldn't be true, but I like to think that ownership would give the team the benefit of the doubt if they're losing games without Tua. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I mean, literally all three starting quarterbacks have gotten hurt. And it's not because mm-hmm. it's not lower extremity injuries. It's not, um, you know, somebody takes a, a wrong cut and they pop an Achilles or an ACL. They're getting mm-hmm. battered and beaten up every weekend. Um, you literally had three quarterbacks go down in the first six weeks of the season, and it's all head or neck related. You know, that's that's probably a sign, you know. And you probably shouldn't put mm-hmm. your, your number five overall. He was the number one pick for you and your team. Um, draft pick that is playing at the best of his career uh, in that situation. Imagine being the guy on the Steelers right now. Like, you're, you're, you're a competitor. You're not going to care in the in the heat of the moment. But imagine um, mm-hmm. you be the guy that go out there, goes out there and you get a free, free hit on the quarterback. Saying, yeah. They're human. They're going to feel like... They're going to feel terrible if something happens. And you hate to even talk yeah. like this, but this is the situation that they put even the media um, and the people who cover sports. They put it, they made it kind of a, a weird situation for us because you don't want to put stuff like that into the air. You don't want to talk about what could happen if he takes up. But you can't pretend it doesn't exist 100%. either. 100%. So it's like, those, and 
people have to address it. They're going to get tired of answering questions about it this week. But this is the situation that you put everybody in. Um, imagine being to his parents or to his wife's watching this game. There's no way they're going to be able to watch this game. You know, his dad will do it because, you know, his dad's a stonewall. He's been highly documented over the last, you know, five, six years because of Tua's rise and the family's rise with Talia being such a good player in Maryland as well. But I couldn't imagine being his family watching this game. I couldn't imagine being one of his close friends watching this game. It's going to be, it's going to be difficult for all of us to watch this game. Um, Like I said, dude, that's what I was about to say. Like I, the feeling that I had watching that Thursday night football game live, I don't really want to have that again, but worse. Right. Like, if this was a day game, I would straight up not watch it and just watch the replay later. And there's almost an unspoken you know what I mean? rule. I forgot to say this. There's almost an unspoken rule. Three concussions and you're out. That's typically have that's, t- that's typically been the new rule um, as far as doctors advising you to retire. He's already Yeah, exactly. And that's what happened with, uh, with Jalen Phillips, actually. Mm-hmm. I think at UCLA, and then he ends up transferring to Miami because they don't have the same rules. They're like, ah, oh, you got a few concussions, no worries, come play for us. So I've heard Bosa. If so, Bosa has another one, he's done. Uh, Joey Bosa, that is. I mean, mm-hmm. it's crazy when you think about it, but it's not, man. You got to protect your. You got to protect your longevity of life. And I, I hope that more football people are actually taking it seriously. Um, you see that they're wearing the things around their neck that's supposed to help with uh, uh, shock absorption and stuff like that, and take some of the impact off the hit. They have the new helmets. They make you wear the stuff to practice. But are we protecting the actual in-game product more than we're protecting, protecting the humans? Uh, tough situation, man. I, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. All right. Well, I, we'll, we'll find out how it plays out. But I'm with you. I mean, I just – this was my fear about the offensive line for the Dolphins. That was – we talked before the season, and that was the one thing. I think when we were doing our top five – uh, even maybe even as far back as we were doing our pop top five uh, skill groups, mm-hmm. like the Dolphins are so good, the problem is just going to be if if they their offensive line can be good enough, and it, it, their biggest acquisition for the offensive line is just like notoriously one of the most injured players in the league. So, you know, uphill battle for sure. All right. Anyway, that'll do it for us today. I appreciate you coming on, Kyron, and talking with me every Tuesday. We will be back next week, 8.30 a.m. for our Monday Night Football recap and Players of the Week segments. And then tomorrow, we're not doing a live stream because I do all the segments individually. If you're listening to the podcasts, that is all going to be put together just like it always is. If you're watching on YouTube, those will be individually released. So it's our big midweek show, which means we've got injuries, we've got college football, We've got preview for Thursday night. We've got all kinds of stuff coming up. So, um, Kyron, why don't you let everybody know where they can find your work between now and when we talk again? Um, find me on all socials at Kyron Samuels. It'll be uh, on, on the display here. And you can find me on the playback app uh, at backslash Kyron Samuels. Um, I do live video hosting there. And, yeah, man, give Max a follow as well, man. Max is like I said, he's getting the, the hang of this social media stuff, so he's been putting it out there more. He's doing well on social media, so um, give us a follow and, and appreciate you guys' support. Absolutely. Noah, thanks to you again, as always. Yes, sir. And we will see you uh, tomorrow, I guess, to the people. I don't know. I got to get the hang of doing this outro live. <laughs> but uh, let's see here. Let's hit this outro. Boom. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to our 
Monday Night Football recap and players of the week. Remember to follow me at TheMaxDean on Twitter and give us a like, a subscribe, a follow, a review, a rating, anything that you can where you like to listen to our show. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. All right, we will see you all very soon.